You're listening to Muscles to the Masses, the podcast. We're covering muscles, of course, all kinds of movement, recovery, and fitness. I'm your host, Julie Reed. I'll bring information you can trust from new-to-you sources. Today, I'm chatting with Heather Pearson of One Body for Life, and we're covering muscles. Heather is a well-respected sports therapist and strength coach who in 2001 had a traumatic car crash where she sustained whole-body injuries, multiple trap nerves, headaches, and all-over dysfunction. For many years, she couldn't walk properly without pain. Her trauma led her down the path of becoming a sports therapist and founding One Body for Life. Fifteen years later, Heather has traveled the world to learn from the most elite coaches and health professionals. Heather has become renowned for resolving complex injuries with her innovative, self-creative systems of diagnosis and rehabilitation, advanced soft tissue skills, and sports psychology work. Heather has worked with a range of professional athletes, including top-level lifters, physique competitors, football players, and Ironman athletes, as well as strength coaches and PTs in the UK and Europe. Heather teaches biomechanics and ART to many professionals, including elite medical staff in the Premiership, the most exclusive soccer league in the world. Heather is Europe's only female ART lead instructor, and she recently won ART Instructor of the Year. Heather has worked pitch side for soccer teams for 14 years, and since 2010, she has helped produce the most successful ISFA league soccer team in UK's history, winning five seasons in a row, and she has a close working relationship with the UK Premier League's Tottenham Hotspur FC. She holds a master's degree in nutrition and sports science, nine diplomas, and is certified in 28 modalities of treatment, nutrition, sports psychology, and strength coaching. Heather and I dive deep on muscles today. Finally, right? Talking about soft tissue techniques, the difference between a stringy and bumpy muscle, how to perform soft tissue work on yourself, and what the glutes mean for back pain. Oh, and the ever-elusive recovery method. Heather explains her favorite breathing drill, and I don't want to give too much away, but her favorite food is one of my favorite foods. Stay tuned. Heather, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Why don't you tell us about how you got into strength training, soft tissue techniques, and working with athletes? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, So I had a car accident uh, in 2001 that should have killed me. And it left me with whole body injuries. Uh, I had the longest list of injuries I've ever seen in anybody. And I would never, ever want to meet someone like me because I wouldn't know where to start. So uh, I, after about two years, I was seeing a cranial osteopath and I basically used to moan about um, how much I missed the gym and running and martial arts. And she suggested I become a personal trainer. Mm-hmm. because the hours that I worked in television were so long, they were hindering my recovery. So, uh, so I did. I ended up changing career and becoming a personal trainer and doing a sports therapy course as well. And when I did the sports therapy course, I was hooked because I had so many injuries. I wanted to know more how I could fix me. And so that was kind of the journey. Um, my first kind of, I I did the sort of, you know, the range of personal training courses, but when I looked into strength and conditioning, I started doing courses with Charles Poliquin and, um, and I saw my very first, uh, the very, very first time I saw ART, uh, Mm. he was working at, he was doing ART on someone and I was so impressed. I was like, Mm. oh my gosh, I have (laughs) to learn this technique. It's amazing. (laughs) How can you change someone's squat? to like six, seven inches lower in like mm. 20 minutes. It was so impressive. So that was the start of my journey with ART. But as a trade, I'm a sports therapist, so I'm, I'm uh, qualified to diagnose injuries. But what changed my life with that kind of thing was being introduced to ART, um, as well as a few other techniques that I do, like tooling and acupuncture and stuff. But that's kind of how I started. It was all because of the car crash. Mm -hmm. And then one course led to another. And before I knew it, I was being asked to be an ART instructor. And uh, yeah, the more experience and here I am today. Well, I I think that has a lot of power in having a very personal story to get involved in something like you're doing. Absolutely. Um, It sounds like there's a qualification in in either Europe or, or Great Britain of being a sports therapist that doesn't necessarily exist in the States or, or it sounds like it's more physical therapy in the States. Can you touch on how that is different where you are? A sports therapist here is like a mix between a physiotherapist, mm-hmm. which I think you have in Canada. Mm-hmm. And I think that this, the similar version is a physical therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I understand in the U S um, you also have an athletic trainer, which yes. is also part of what we do. Okay. So it's a mix between an athletic trainer or a combination of an athletic trainer and 
a physical therapist in one and it was primarily brought around to work in sport but you cover any injury really uh, although I'd say majority of my clientele are either in the gym or they're athletic in some way so and what kind of schooling does that entail to be a sort of sports therapist you can do a diploma or a degree mm-hmm. uh, and then you can go on to do a master's degree which I'm not sure I think they're quite similar to the US that you can do degrees in mm-hmm. anything between a year and three years okay. I think the schooling is quite similar uh, well, so let's focus on the soft tissue techniques uh, for a little bit. What's your general philosophy on the soft tissue work? How do you know when to apply it? What techniques do you primarily use? I know that you touched on ART, but I also know that you do some instrument-assisted soft tissue mobilization. Um, so can you get into those things a little bit? I uh, To work soft tissue, I'd say experience will dictate a lot of that. Mm-hmm. As I say, I'm, because I'm a sports therapist, I'm diagnosed to, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm qualified to diagnose uh, injuries. Once you have your diagnosis, then you can start thinking about, I mean, it's a very quick thinking process mm-hmm. because you, you have someone in your session. Mm-hmm. But that is what is going to dictate, depending on what injury you have, will dictate what uh, techniques you're going to use. So I would normally use a mixture of, uh, ART for me is, is the best soft tissue uh, release in the world uh, as far as I'm concerned because I've, I've tried so many others um, sometimes I may need to use the instrument assisted uh, soft tissue tools and they I would use them in specific parts of the body so I may use it on the IT band which I, I think is am- it's amazing for the IT band I think it's amazing to use around certain parts of the um, bones which is quite hard to get your thumb around mm-hmm. uh, or fingers around sometimes. Um, I also like needling where I think with tools and needling, you can multitask mm-hmm. or with, with needles and anything you can multitask. Mm-hmm. So you could needle one set of quads while you're working on the other one. So, and that's what I love about needling because you can do more than one thing at the same time. So that person then gets more, um, more bang for their buck, if you like. Yeah. Um, but also I think, you know, there are other things that uh, like massage, you know, massage has its place, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, so if someone has had swelling for an injury, um, then they need to be massaged. If they work overwork a lot, you know, in the gym or for their sport, they need to massage because we build up toxins when we train. Mm-hmm. A lot of people forget that. So I always suggest, look, regardless if you're coming to a session for a treatment, If you're just coming for maintenance, then have a massage once a month. If you Mm -hmm. work out a lot, massaging once a month will help keep your muscles pliable and efficient so that you avoid getting too tight. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd say they're probably the main things. There's one other other modality that I use um, quite often, and that is uh, FST, which I learned quite a long time ago now, but it's, uh, it's a way of it's like a dance. It's fascial stretch technique, otherwise mm-hmm. known as stretch to win by the um, Fredericks and Fredericks. And uh, it's almost like a dance doing a stretch w- to music. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's quite amazing, you know, because I work on a lot of big guys and, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you need to get into a certain position and they talk about releasing fascia from the base, from the core. Mm-hmm. So you can often get, say, like the hip capsule, you can get a really good stretch with FST by doing their, they're like um, distraction and mobility movements that I still use quite a lot as well. That is, those are so many techniques. Let's take a, I want to take a step back. Let's break it down. We'll talk about the four major ones that you, that you mentioned, ART, IAST, um, needling and FST. So let's talk about ART. Can you explain what it is, what it's doing in the body, where you like to apply ART? Okay, so ART is a, uh, it works on fascia. It's based on releasing connective tissue. Connective tissue is in all of our muscles. It connects muscles to other structures and it connects organs to other structures. And there are general lines of fascia that we have uh, around the body up 
down, round, left, right. And basically ART for me is the most efficient way of releasing fascia. You can have fascia that is stuck in a muscle. You can have fascia that's stuck in a joint. What ART also works on are other structures like capsules. So a capsule is where you have two bones that meet together and then you have a sheath that surrounds them. That's called the capsule. ART is amazing at releasing the capsule, which mm -hmm. I've never found other, any other modalities that can do that. There are other structures in the body that, that we work on with ART, like the meniscus, for instance. So a lot of people who squat a lot, you know, the, uh, um, and then they may do a sprint as well or sprint training. Um, athletes, uh, you know, who run a lot, um, as well as in the gym. And the tissue around the meniscus mm -hmm. becomes very stiff and tight and thickened is the word I like to call, mm -hmm. to call it. And so you're not releasing the meniscus itself. You're release, releasing the tissue around the meniscus to make the meniscus slide properly. Mm -hmm. That way it doesn't get stuck and then it won't tear. So that's another, you know, that's one of the, that's one of the things with ART that is so unique um, again, it, you know, you can release things that other modalities can't release. Mm -hmm. In that sense, um, also along that note is uh, when you're looking at nerves. ART is amazing at releasing nerves. There are some nerve releases that other, again, other modalities don't do. And I've had personally had an amazing amount of success with mm -hmm. releasing nerves. Nerve entrapment is very, very common in the gym. I mean, it's very common in daily life, but in the gym, you know, you see it all the time, um, back issues, shoulder issues, and ART has very unique ways of releasing nerves. The last thing that, that I would say, which is very unique to ART, is also um, where you're separating two muscles that should, uh, should not slide or should be sliding against one another. So what happens if two muscles that are side by side and they should work, one should go one way and one should go the other way when the joint moves, sometimes they become stuck. And ART is brilliant at releasing those two muscles together. It really is a way to release scar tissue, to gen generally release fascia in the body and you can restore function so quickly. I, I think the... Um, the main thing about ART for me, the reason it's one of my go-tos all the time is because it's so quick and I can get quicker results in such a short period of time. The other thing on top of that, which I know we're going to come to later, is doing rehab afterwards. But, but the other thing is once you have got rid of a, a big kind of, for want of a better word, a lump of scar tissue, um, and once you've kind of broken that down, I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't come back. Mm -hmm. So the one thing that, that will help uh, an injury once you've got rid of the scar tissue to help it from reoccurring is the rehab. But I think we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, that is, there's so much there that I want to talk about. And I know we only have <laughs> maybe an hour or so today. Um, one of the things that has been really powerful in my understanding of fascia is an analogy to an orange and how the orange has tiny little pulp that is covered in, for lack of a better word, like a, a thin skin. And then all of those come together to form the wedge. And then outside you have the rind of the orange. Is that, is that kind of how we can all think about fascia in the body and its connections and its integrating between organs and muscles and bones and finally the outer layer of skin? Absolutely. It's, uh, I mean, I give the analogy of a steak where ah, you have all the yeah. white bits in a steak. Yeah. <laughs> you get the thick bits and then you get the thin bits and the yeah. bits. Yeah. I, I like that better. I'm, I'm a diehard carnivore. <laughs> I think most people I talk to in the, in the health industry or people that go to the gym, for sure, right. they right. can relate to that straight away. And you can see, I think, especially on a sirloin steak, because mm -hmm. you've got the thick rind mm -hmm. and then you've got the, the slightly less thick and then you've got the real thin stringy bits and that's mm -hmm. where you can really see uh types of of collagen mm -hmm. so yeah so it's but the orange is a very good analogy too yeah. well, I, I, I i like the meat because it's it's a muscle you know so it's very similar so let's talk about how the art release happens can you give us a visual of what you're doing to i'm guessing you would call them a patient right because you're allowed to diagnose 
Um, what, it, what does that technique look like if somebody were to come to you and you would perform that on them? So ART generally, when you treat with ART, you're assessing at the same time. Mm -hmm. Your assessment is the treatment. Mm -hmm. So you're always assessing and treating and evaluating during the whole session. Mm -hmm. The, what it looks like is the basis or the concept of ART is you shorten a joint, mm -hmm. you take a very specific tension and direction of tension on your structure mm -hmm. and then you lengthen the joint. The reason it's so specific is you have to know where every muscle or structure starts and finishes in order to shorten it fully and lengthen it fully. So, it, and that's the difference where you may, uh, you may flex a joint. So you may uh, say if you flex the wrist, but you may need to deviate it mm -hmm. to shorten. And then to lengthen it, you may extend the wrist and then deviate it the other way. Mm -hmm. So that's the hardest part of ART. Um, because one is the anatomy. Mm -hmm. The anatomy is extremely in depth. And we have, I mean, I teach elite medical teams mm -hmm. of, of therapists who, and they all say everyone should learn ART just for the anatomy because yeah. it's so in depth. And that's where you learn how to fully shorten and fully lengthen each structure. And it's, it's kind of hard on the therapist's hands, right? I mean, from what I understand about it, how do you keep your own hands healthy? <laughs> well, <laughs> That's a very good question. <laughs> As I say to everyone that I teach, look after your thumbs. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we practice a lot in when we teach ART is you always want to back up your thumbs and fingers. Mm -hmm. um, but you have to self-treat. As a therapist, you have to self-treat. And with ART, it does, you know, you, you do get tired thumbs, you do get tired fingers, forearms as well. Mm -hmm. So I always recommend you can self-treat or find someone who is near you that you can do a trade swap with. Mm -hmm. So as a therapist, yeah, for sure, you've got to self-treat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, That's the hardest part, working, working on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I think actually now's a good time to talk about using instruments in in your practice so can you go through what instrument assisted soft tissue mobilization is how you apply it and how it's different than art and what it does how the body responds to it so iastm so the tools um i learned from a friend of mine mark warren he uh, he actually i use his tools they're called k tools which he teaches around the world um, it, because he used to teach at Graston, which was the first lot of tools I'd, I'd ever heard of. Mm -hmm. The reason that the tools are so good is they're, they're made specifically so that I can feel what my patient feels. Mm -hmm. So I can feel if their fascia, it's a very weird feeling. I can feel if their tissue underneath the tool where, when I'm doing my, whatever stroke is whether it's thickened or whether it feels rubbery whether it feels stringy and I can feel that I can feel the bumps mm -hmm. in the fascia as I tool and it's a it's a very weird feeling but for some people some people don't like it at all <laughs> it's just a weird feeling but what in the place that I would use it again as I was saying I would use it around bony prominences which are harder to get my hands in mm -hmm. sometimes there's particular areas in the body that I just find the tools an extra, I would, they would give an extra 5% to the mm -hmm. treatment. So they are a soft tissue release, mm -hmm. but I find that they are better in some areas of the body. As I say, the IT band for me personally is one of them. Mm -hmm. um, I do find around, around the um, obliques, around the pelvic bone where the obliques attach, mm -hmm. I find that's another good area. Also the abdominals, which I use a lot around the, there's certain areas around the abdominals just on the side of the six pack, there's a big, thick lump of fascia. Mm -hmm. And then around the lower back, there's another big, thick lump of fascia called the thoracolumbar fascia. Mm -hmm. So there's certain areas where I find tools really, really good. Also, sometimes as an extra to ART, as an addition, I would use tools around the thumb or toe capsules, um, more so around the, the fingers, sorry. And again, that's where you change the different size of the tool. Mm -hmm. So I have a massive, huge tool that is probably about 14 inches long. Mm -hmm. And I would use that for, uh, for one of my very heavyweight bodybuilders mm -hmm. on their quads. 
Okay. Because it's a fantastic way to release the rectus femoris, the, mm-hmm. the, the muscle right on the middle of the quad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have a tiny little one called a K-tool. And then I use that in the, uh, I might use that around the, the sheath of the joints of the thumbs or the toes. So different tools you can use in different ways. I like how you have this general tool uh, in your toolbox of like ART and then you have actual, you actually do have tools <laughs> and, and the ART, it seems like ART is a little bit more global and then K tools and, and the, the instrument assisted type of tissue work is, is much more, it seems more specific or it can be used more specifically. Now you mentioned stringy muscles versus bumpy muscles do the different is that a difference for you and how you apply techniques and what does that mean in terms of what's going on in the muscle that is an excellent question (laughs) so this is where art really comes into play because art is all about touch and you have to feel what is going underneath what is going on underneath your thumbs and fingers and what you're asking there is if something feels if something feels stringy then it's more likely it's only just happened if you're looking at an injury if something feels leathery and rubbery that's like the thick side of the sirloin steak <laughs> then then you know that 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 connective tissue has probably been around for a long time mm-hmm. so you know that you can tell that that athlete or patient that you know it might take us a while to break this down um, and that's exactly what you're feeling you're assessing because that's what helps to restore function in a joint and muscle and structures because the more you can feel then you uh, anything that if the, if the texture feels thicker rubbery leathery then you know that you're going to hang around that area a lot longer than you would you know because that's really how you assess someone's muscle mm-hmm. uh, or tissue you know you've got to feel what's going on under your thumbs and fingers. So let's talk about needling. What is needling? How do you apply it? And where do you like to apply it on the body? So with needling, I really like to use needles in capsules, which are, uh, I'd say preferably the, the hip capsule and the shoulder capsules, um, because you can get right in there with a needle. The hip capsules, you need longer ones, you need longer needles. But if there is a problem with that joint, needling is amazing for those areas. I mean, you can use them in any muscle anywhere um, to release muscle, to stimulate flow, uh, energy flow. And um, I do find them very, very handy to work with, especially if I'm working on uh, two arms or two legs or multiple areas of the body, you can leave needles in one area and then go to another area and do something else on the other limb or upper limb or, or lower limb, which is very, very handy. But um, as I say, it's, it's very nice to use as a combination. If your patient or client uh, is happy for you to stick needles in them. <laughs> <laughs> That's the big question, right? <laughs> so I have had needling done to me where the practitioner will take the needle and pump it up and down in my muscle. Is that what you're doing? It sounds like you're leaving the needle in your patient muscle as you work elsewhere on the body. Yes. I, there are lots of different techniques for needling. Um, the technique that I, or techniques that I've learned that I prefer are to get the needle in place where you want it, where you feel the fascia is stuck and leave it in there from anything from two minutes to 15 minutes you can leave them in for 20 but Mm -hmm. generally I I wouldn't leave it in for anything longer than 15 minutes and the reason for that is that because when you press onto fascia eventually it starts to release so um, pumping is a different method and also you can connect um, to electrical sources as well that's a different method but the method that I prefer is to put the needles in to whichever layer I want to I want the needles to release uh, fascia and and then just leave them for a few minutes. So needling does it hurt and do you have different responses from different clients of whether it hurts or whether it doesn't hurt if somebody's nervous about getting needling done what would you tell them? So needling I try and be as soft as I can and that's what I will suggest to my patient or client to say that, look, it's, it's going to help you, um, but we're going to go really softly. And if you don't like it, we won't do it. So you always do a test one 
So you'll put one needle in, see if they're okay with it, go really easy. Mm-hmm. If you need to go deeper, then what I do is I put the needle in very, very gently, but very superficially. Mm-hmm. And then I gradually, once they're all in, then I gradually go deeper. And if there's any tenderness, I stop. So obviously with any treatment, uh, feedback is really important with, uh, with your patients and athletes. But yeah, with needling, it's generally you have to go slow. Uh, some of my colleagues who have needled me, mm-hmm. they're quite gung-ho. they're not that uh patient should i say yeah actually putting the needle into the tissue so i'd say that's probably the um the main thing for me is making sure that it's nice and slow so find a good practitioner (laughs) or or a kind a kind (laughs) practitioner (laughs) so we've talked a lot about Soft tissue techniques. Are these techniques mechanical? I, like, are they making changes to the actual tissues? Or is it more that they're signaling the brain to then make changes to the tissue? Like, how, how is it working? Well, you're kind of doing both. Uh, again, coming back to ART, uh, I mean, they all will, to be, to be fair. ART, because fascia contains nerves and, and blood supply, So you'll see an instant adaptation to the brain, uh, which is quite mad. Uh, When I used to personal train all the time and I would use ART on the gym floor and how you could see someone, you would release their tissue and instantly they can, they can lift more, you know, you're not going to do a whole session on a gym floor, but even releasing one particular muscle um, because the better a joint can function, the more you're going to be able to lift. But, Regardless, your connection to the brain, as you ask, I mean, exactly, the, the connection to the brain changes instantly. Also, um, you know, with needles, I mean, they, they work on the nervous system. So you're, again, you're going to change that uh, communication between the brain and the muscle instantly. Sometimes you'll see adaptation that can last a little bit longer. But this is where I would always reset the pathway by doing some contractions afterwards and giving rehabilitation exercises to set that in stone. But treatment, yes, for sure with ART, you have an instant change in the brain, but that can still continue over the next few days, sometimes up to a week. If you're looking at nerves, that change, the change with the brain and releasing fascia uh, communication to brain and muscle, that can take up to two weeks because nerves work slightly different to general fascia around muscle tissue. I think you touched on the thing on a topic that I really want to come into next, which is you're getting all of this new range of motion. How do you keep that new range of motion? And more importantly, how do you control it once you have it? Well, that is right up my street. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, one of the things that I learned through my experiences after my car accident was um, I had a lot lot of treatment and there was a a time, I think it was probably two or three years after I was having a lot of massage. One specific thing happened and I couldn't understand why I felt great when I came out, but I wasn't progressing much in the gym and I wasn't doing much in the gym then, but but whatever I was doing, I didn't understand why I was why I would plateau and I was almost static. I just couldn't gain any strength. And it was only then when I um, attended my sports college and did my sports therapy that we talked about rehabilitation and what it means. It means you re-educate the muscle, which you're like taking the muscle, sending it into a classroom and (laughs) teaching it that it has a connection to the brain. And then you put it back and there it's, you know, there you are. But that re-education happens over time after treatment i've always used rehabilitation exercises because i do believe that once your joint is in that new range of motion regardless of whether it's five percent ten percent thirty percent new range that you need to reset those pathways with contraction and contracting a muscle it's just resetting the pathways telling the brain look we have this new range of motion your muscle has gone from 1.5 centimeters to 1.7 and now you need to know as my brain that I want to be able to use this muscle in the new range and the way you do that is with rehab exercises 
So you can do gentle contractions, very soft, resisting contractions where you would literally resist uh, one joint with, you know, against a wall or your own hand, uh, or you can do actual movement exercises. And what that does in my eyes is that resets that joint in stone. And every time that you treat the joint, again, if you're getting lots big, big ranges of movement after treatment, you're constantly resetting, doing the rehab. And when you reach your end goal, then you're good to go. But the rehab is a slightly different strength than gym strength, which a lot of people get confused with because they say, oh, well, I'm doing all these exercises. You know, why, why am I still, you know, achy? Why am I still weaker on one side? And that's because the rehab strength, the way I explain this to people is you have a house and under the house is the foundation. Now, if say the kitchen in your house, it keeps needing redecorating because it keeps crumbling in, in one specific area, it's because the foundation underneath it has crumbled. And until you fix the foundation underneath that part of the kitchen, it will always need redecorating. And the kitchen, or should I say the house, is gym strength. And the foundation is rehab strength. So for a lot of people, they do, they do a lot of exercises in the gym and they stay strong to a certain extent. What the rehab exercise, exercises do is that then uh, strengthens the foundation of their strength. So then when they're back in the gym, they, their fatigue or the weaker arm can uh, catch up with the other side. For somebody who is not injured and say comes into the gym is really sore or just has a little bit of a, uh, I'm going to say a twinge in one of their muscles, you know, oh, I have a little bit of low back pain after doing this exercise last week. What, what would you tell them? How would you tell them to look into that on their own with limited information, with some limited information that they might have, i.e. they're not coming to see you or they're not going to see somebody who specializes in soft tissue? somebody with a general conversation that mm-hmm. they've had experienced a bit of back pain mm-hmm. what i would advise the first thing i would advise uh well back pain is, is <laughs> <laughs> i know it's a, it's a really tough question it's, <laughs> it's very general. No, it's, it's a little bit of a speciality <laughs> but uh back pain i would say first things first is your technique correct the second thing is um how strong is your lower back your core and your glutes so the first question I would ask is, do you get DOMS? Do you get um, muscle ache in your glute muscles? Uh, because that's normally a giveaway. Because anything to do with back pain itself, the glutes may not be working. For a lot of people, their core may be quite weak. And for other people, their lower back actually may be quite weak. And this goes back again to rehab, the foundation strength and the gym strength. So for some people, they can deadlift quite a lot of weight but they feel it all in their lower back because their glutes are working or they feel it in their lower back. They feel stiffness because for whatever reason, their lower back may need to be rehabbed. They may need to go back a few steps, go back to basics, lay the foundation, do the rehab exercises and then come back to the gym. So my, my first uh, answer to that would be the DOMS. My second answer would be, um, are you doing core work? And my, my third answer would be, uh, are you do, doing any glute work or any lower back work? And you may need to step back and do some rehab first. That's a very generalized answer. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. I asked a, I asked a very uh, general question because, as we know, back pain uh, could mean a lot of things. What is your take on self, uh, and I'm going to use the term self myofascial release, even though self-myofascial release is not technically releasing fascia in the way that we all that has been popularized recently so self uh, fascia release um which you can do using a roller and there's so many different types of rollers now um all the handheld ones which i think are really good um i personally don't like any of them that have spikes on because i think it's too harsh on the fascia Mm -hmm um tennis ball uh is really good for that but i would say more for the calf and the feet but rollers in general if you roll correctly then you can release very very well and a lot of people will spend five or ten minutes rolling before they go and work out or before they go and have a run and i think it's really sensible really really sensible i i see a lot of people 
when I go to work out and I see a lot of people near me, how they roll and most people roll too fast and you can't release fascia that fast. Mm -hmm. So my advice to people is slow down. Um, if you're on something uh, on a specific, like the IT band where it's a long area, then go slow, take your time. With some areas you may want to roll, hold for three seconds, roll an inch higher, hold for three seconds, roll an inch higher, or just go really slowly. Come mm -hmm. back to the beginning, roll slowly up, come back to the beginning, roll slowly up. But they are very, very good, very worthy. As I was saying about tennis balls, uh, underneath the feet, the rollers, the handheld uh, hand rollers are really good. Mm -hmm. They are really good. Because then you can self-release on your quads, on your calves, on the front of your shins. They're fantastic, the self-rollers. So, yeah. I like to give the guidance when you're rolling, when you feel, uh, stay on a spot until you feel a little bit of change and then move on to that next spot. Do you think that there is the ability to feel that change within your body? Like, is that a, is that good guidance or is it more of a time situation? I would say that's, that's a, that's a good guide. Um, not everyone is in tune with their body. Mm -hmm. um, and that I've experienced in my treatment room for many years. Some people just have no kind of inkling as to what's going on in their bodies. Um, but holding, if you feel a sore point, as long as there's no real injury there, as long as there's no pain, mm -hmm. but if there's a bit of tenderness um, in a certain area, that's not too bad. Um, you might want to hold in that area a few, few more seconds. Absolutely. Um, you may feel a change instantly, but you may feel a change more when you get up and your body is loaded. Mm -hmm. So often you, uh, you may not feel the change while you're laying down and the mm -hmm. muscle is relaxed. But for sure, I think holding in an area where there's as more tough spot mm -hmm. is quite good. Yeah. Good advice. Have you found that when people receive soft tissue work or when they're applying it to themselves, that they start to become more aware of what's going on in their body and in tune with what's going on in their muscles? That's such a good thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's I think the hardest part of my job or the therapy side of my job is, uh, is, is asking people to be or to do maintenance and to really look after themselves and as you say once people start to to realize the difference they can make the more they do it mm -hmm. and the more they do it the more they tell their friends and their family and their colleagues so yeah it's uh I, I, it's a great thing to say really good thing to say uh so let's kind of change gears a little bit and talk about your book you wrote a book called back pain free things you never knew about back pain that can put an end to your suffering. What is one of those things that we didn't know? Oh, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say, I mean, there's quite a few, it's, it's a, it's a book that's very different. I, I've, I've, I've read 15 other books on the market and I can say mine is very different because of the, the contents that are contained within it. I would, to give you something physical, I would say um, rolling your foot on a tennis ball for two minutes can release the fascia in your lower back and hamstrings and calves. So you can do a test. If you lie on your back and lift your leg and see how far you can lift your leg up towards your head with the knee as straight as you can, then roll, the, roll your foot for two minutes on the tennis ball and check again. Or just touch your toes, then roll on the tennis ball and see how much further you can touch your toes. It's crazy. So that's, some, that's a very easy uh, tool that I give out to patients and athletes for their lower backs, which is also in the book. <laughs> <laughs> to give you something that's more physical, again, this is all from my own experience, I would say glute work in isolation, in complete isolation, as much as you can isolate, will help every single person with back pain. But the process of treating, the process of diagnosing what else is overcompensating and the process of rehabbing uh, the glutes themselves is all in a table and a schedule, which is all in the book. Can you give us one exercise that you like to, to prescribe to isolate the glute? Uh, one exercise I would say... Oh, so many. <laughs> uh, I would say would be a simple contraction, 
which would be a, I call it a glute tense. And I also use it as a test. So the easiest way to do it is lie down and tense one set of glutes on their own and hold for five seconds. Then tense the other side and see if the one is stronger than the other. And also, can you tense them on their own without anything else kicking in? So lying is the easiest version. Standing is the next version. And seated is the hardest version because... When you stretch a muscle, it's harder to contract. So that's when you can really tell if the glutes are working. But even for people standing, they try and squeeze their glutes for five seconds and nothing happens. And they do the other side and it's as strong as an ox. So that way you can tell, and that's for every single person who I've ever treated with back pain. Uh, But that's more for hip extension, which is one movement. I mean, there you have it. Squeeze your glutes. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) That's that's just one. That's just one. (laughs) I I know that everybody listening is going to be standing in the grocery store next week, squeezing their glutes. (laughs) Squeezing their (laughs) palms. That's excellent. I would say on a note to that is, which this is all in the book. I mean, that's just one area that's just one movement of the glutes Mm -hmm. and it's one way that i see to test is the brain connected to that side of the body um in the glutes if there's nothing going on on one side you can't feel anything it's really difficult to to connect then you definitely need to go get treatment so that's the only thing i would say because i find even even some of my athletes i've worked with like, oh, no, I can't feel it much on the left side, but the right side is really strong. So <laughs> sometimes when you do that exercise, if you do it often enough, then you can start increasing the relationship between the muscle and the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you try it and you're doing the exercise, you hold for five seconds, which, it, which my first stage is hold for five seconds and then release it and do that five times in all and do that three times through the day. If you're doing that and you do it for a week and nothing changes, then you, you definitely need treatment. And it's not necessarily that your, your glute is weak. It's that the connection between your brain and the muscle is, there's something, it's just not working. Yes, uh, but, in, but the consequence of that will be weakness and okay. atrophy, which is where the muscle will get smaller, mm-hmm. which, yeah, I mean, it, it basically means that the communication and the, to, from the brain to the muscle has has laxed and um, has got the communication has got weak. So therefore Mm -hmm. the muscle has got weak as well. Cause and effect right there. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So Heather, I think one of the, the coolest things about your practice is that you combine a lot of different modalities. You combine strength training, soft tissue work, um, and then also meditation, sports psychology work and recovery. Can you touch a little bit on the recovery piece? Because I know that is uh, pivotal in your, in your practice. Yes, thank you uh, for that. Um, yeah, I mean, I found that, and this is just over time working with uh, athletes and members of the general public, particularly I think with people who work out, is very, people can be very disciplined with working out but they forget the aspects of recovery, which is just as important as being in the gym or or doing their sport in the first place. And what I found is that recovery methods, there are certain recovery methods that can really speed up healing. And even if, you know, even if you haven't got an injury, but you're taking time to recover from a workout, albeit in the gym or from your sport, recovery methods can really help speed things up. I mean, specifically for athletes, you know, anyone who is a part-time, uh, part-time competitor or a full-time competitor. Um, recovery is, you know, if you're not recovered, your next training session is, is you're not going to benefit 100%. So if we're talking about you're a competitive athlete, whether full-time, part-time, you know, or you're just training for fun, you're, you want to get the most out of your workout depending on what your training goal is, whether you're aesthetics or function. And if you're not getting 100% in your workouts, then you're defeating the, the object of your goal. Mm-hmm. So recovery is very important. I found that there are certain methods that I've experimented with over the years. Um, I say experiment, I've utilized with you know, athletes and patients. And some methods work much better than others. Um, 
I, I've, I've come to the conclusion now that Epsom salt baths for people that have a bath is, you know, is top on the list. Um, I found that psychology work um, is also top of the list and combined with psychology work. Oh, that's a whole nother, whole nother talk. <laughs> I'll have to have you back. <laughs> psychology is honestly, I, you know, I could talk for another hour on, on psychology, but psychology is a lot of, a lot of it is recovery. It's not just men, uh, not just physical. It's also mental. And some people do some physical methods, probably not enough. You know, like I said to you before, I think everyone who partakes in any type of activity, uh, any type of exercise should get massage at least once every three months, you know, or once every quarter, once every four months at the minimum. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's hot and cold showers, there's Epsom salt baths, there's stretching, um, stretching with breathing, breathing techniques on their own, you know, all of these types of recovery methods that they don't take long. And if you get into a routine of doing them, they can help you so much. Um, and I found that, you know, the psychology aspect, the mental aspect of recovery, I've used more and more and more over the last 10 years. And uh, I found has had a massive impact, even on my younger athletes at, you know, 17, 18 years old. And I've got them meditating and, and visualizing and, you know, doing all these psychological tools that you just get such quick results with them. So, and you know, I'm still learning too, you know, but yeah, re recovery is as important as the training. And, and I apply that wherever I can and I, and I try and promote it as much as I can. So what is one breathing technique that you can explain for people uh, to take with them today? So I would say my favorite breathing technique out of all of the, there's so many out there. My favorite one is called measured counts. So the idea is, is that you breathe in for a second, you hold your breath for a second and then you exhale for a second. Then, then you breathe in for two seconds, hold for two, exhale for two. You carry on like that up to five seconds and then you come back down to one second. So it's like a triangle mm -hmm. uh, or a pyramid. The main thing that, when you breathe is when you inhale that you keep your mouth shut and you inhale through your nose. So your belly should uh, come out, which a lot of people have problems with breathing. And then as you breathe out, you just breathe out through your mouth with pursed lips. So, and then your belly should come back in again. So that's what you want to focus on as you breathe. For some people I suggest it really doesn't take long. And for some people I would suggest Sit in a quiet place. It will take you like a minute and a half. Um, close your eyes. And that there you go is a mini meditation right there. So you're focusing your, your brain and your concentration on how you're breathing, breathing in through your nose, holding, because you've got to count the seconds, and also that your belly is moving out as you breathe in and moving back in as you breathe out. It's a fantastic de-stressor. <laughs> I like it. I think the biggest takeaways are squeeze your glutes and have a soft belly. <laughs> <laughs> Glute strength is very important. Yeah. <laughs> <Good> belly. <laughs> so we're we're coming up on the on the end of this on the end of this podcast, but I feel like I could talk to you for several hours because we touched just the surface on on your work. Uh, but we're going to finish with some lightning round questions. Uh, these are questions that I'm asking every guest. So the first one is, what is the most memorable thing you've ever eaten? Well, I would say one of the most memorable things that I've eaten would be a red snapper fish because I caught it when oh. I was... <laughs> Incredible! <laughs> the reason it was so memorable was because I was with my, um, with my stepfather in Goa and we went out into the sea and we caught all these fish and then we came back and my mum seasoned it and cooked it and I ate it. Wow. It Fresh fish caught by myself. Oh, that's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> that makes me so excited. <laughs> Circle of life. That's I love it. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. What are the big three people books podcasts that have been influential to you? It doesn't have to be fitness or bodywork related. It could be uh, anything that has really helped shape who you are today. Oh, that's a hard question. There's so many. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, I would say one of the books that has influenced me a lot is The Conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh. It's about a guy who has a conversation with God. And it is, I think, still to date, one of the most interesting and intriguing books I think I've ever read. And it's very inspiring. I mean, the, the actual content of the book is, uh, yeah, it's, it inspired me a lot. I still, I've read it about seven or eight times. <laughs> I'd say, oh, I'm a real book person, but people I could name so many names. Um, I would say more recently, Dr. Eric Serrano, um, who is, he's a genius medical doctor who lives in Columbus, Ohio. He fixes things that other doctors can't fix. He's very holistic, very uh, against um, chemicals. And, you know, so he's very natural and holistic. And uh, he's helped me with my own health as well. And he just knows a lot about a lot. He's influenced me very much in, uh, and he's very religious as well. So um, he's always, he's doing God's work. And I love that. He's been very influential. I would say um, another book that, uh, that I, I loved many, many years ago um, when I first got into the industry is Anatomy Trains by Thomas Myers. Uh, which is quite an old school book. Mm -hmm. um, but I still keep, say to people, get the book and read it because if you want to know about fascia, that is the book for fascia. You know, there are so many other books, but Anatomy Trains has been around for so long, but it I, is still a go-to for me, especially yeah. for people who are coming into the industry. I, um, I don't know a massage therapist who doesn't have that on their shelf. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the old favorites, for yeah. sure. Uh, and then final question. If someone came to earth from another planet, what is one thing you would tell them? Oh, that's such a funny question. <laughs> well, the first thing I would say, don't come to London because it rains all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and probably the second thing would be, can I come home with you? <laughs> so I can see what your life is like on your planet. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, well, that would be pretty, that'd be pretty remarkable. Take me with you. <laughs> Can I come with you? Yeah. Or would you like to stay for dinner? You know, yeah. <laughs> get to know each other. Absolutely. Well, Heather, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I learned so much and I know that um, we still have so much more to talk about, but we have to cut it short for today. So thank you. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much, Julie. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to Muscles for the Masses, the podcast. Find Heather at the ISI Symposium in Dublin, Ireland on July 28th and at SWIS in Toronto, Canada on October 26th through 28th. You can also look her up for your next ART course or buy her book, Back Pain Free, Things You Never Knew About Back Pain That Can Put an End to Your Suffering. If you're looking to support the show, leave us a review on iTunes, tell a friend, or buy a butt bag at musclesforthemasses.com.